0: Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Special Spotlight.
1: Most of the people with schizophrenia have cognitive impairment. If you compare someone with schizophrenia to their identical twin who doesn't have the disorder, in almost every case, the twin with the schizophrenia functions lower in terms of their cognition.
0: Today, Doctors Don Velligan and Sanjay Rao rejoin the podcast to continue their discussion on the three symptom domains of schizophrenia, positive, negative, and cognitive impairment in part two of this PV Roundup specialist spotlight. All opinions expressed are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the views of this educational initiative's supporters. Welcome back to the second half of our conversation.
2: Hello, I'm Sanjay Rao, a professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego, and a staff psychiatrist at the San Diego VA.
1: Hi, Sanjay. It's great to see you. I'm Don Veligan. I'm from the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio.
2: You know, I've always found it interesting that although cognition is mentioned as Uh, an associated symptom in schizophrenia. It's not one of the core symptoms, right? Uh, Going back to the beginning, it's one of the reasons we only think of positive and negative symptoms is because that's how the DSM defines schizophrenia. And I'm wondering if you could comment a little bit on how common are these cognitive symptoms? You know, are they, do they get worse over time? Are they, you know, or, you know, do they change? Are they stable?
1: Well, those are great questions. Um, It depends on how you look at it, but uh, most of the people with schizophrenia have cognitive impairment. If you compare someone with schizophrenia to their identical twin who doesn't have the disorder, in almost every case, the twin with the schizophrenia functions lower in terms of their cognition. And so we can say that compared to where you should be, you're going to be lower in your cognitive performance if you have schizophrenia. So that's uh, uh, pretty many people, right? And then... Um, You also asked about deterioration over time. There's some evidence that for some people, cognition deteriorates the more episodes that you have with schizophrenia, Um, and for other people, it remains fairly stable at that diminished level across time. So, um, Sanjay, I know that we really don't have a lot of medications at this point to target cognitive impairment, but aren't there some things in development that could address uh, cognition in people with schizophrenia?
2: You know, Yeah, there are. And they are still in development, as you say. Uh, They're not yet FDA approved. And so I'm going to talk about them kind of in a more general sense rather than mention any specific agents. But but know that what I'm talking about here uh, in general is in phase three development and uh, is sort of going through that process to try and uh, get FDA approval for this. And that it does appear to demonstrate some benefits in negative and cognitive symptoms. So the first one, there's two that I'm going to talk about. The first one that comes to mind uh, are drugs that are based on muscarinic agonism. And and so this is a mechanism that we've known for, you know, probably decades now, can be helpful in treating psychosis. Uh, these drugs were originally tried in patients who had Alzheimer's. And the idea was that a muscarinic agonist, because there's uh, cholinergic deficiencies in Alzheimer's, was going to help with that. And what ended up happening was that those people who had Alzheimer's but who also had psychotic symptoms as part of their Alzheimer's, when you gave them these particular types of muscarinic agonists, their psychotic symptoms got better too. Uh, so then after that, they thought, well, this is great. Why don't we try this in schizophrenia? Uh, and they did. And it works. But the problem is these drugs are really poorly tolerated. Uh, so muscarinic agonists give you all kinds of peripheral side effects. They give you you know, diarrhea, and uh, and hypersalivation and all kinds of other things, right? And and so the new agent that's under development right now has essentially found a way to block the peripheral effects of the drug while allowing the drug to still go into the CNS, into the brain, and to have the effects in the brain that we'd wanted to have. Uh, and this strategy does appear to reduce those peripheral side effects. And so you know, approval is still pending. But but that is one hope, and and the data from that sure looks like it has some effect on not just positive symptoms but also negative and cognitive symptoms. Now the second one that I wanted to talk about uh, are these drugs called TAR one agonists, and uh, and so this is uh, this is a really kind of interesting system. So TAR one, TAR stands for trace amine receptor, and uh, or amine associated receptor, and one is just the you know the particular variant of that. And what this is, is so there are these things in your CNS called trace amines. And they are present sort of like the monoamines, right? Dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine. But these trace amines are at tiny concentrations, like one hundredth, a couple of orders of magnitude uh, less than your normal monoamine system. And these trace amines are actually used by your brain to regulate monoamine output. And in particular, when you look at dopaminergic neurons, which we think hyperactivity in dopamine neurons is one of the things that leads to positive symptoms of schizophrenia, those neurons actually have these TAR1 receptors on them. And, uh, and so these trace amines bind to those receptors and regulate the amount of dopamine coming out of that neuron. TAR1 agonists can kind of do that and do it a little bit better if it's not working well enough. So a TAR1 agonist will also bind to that and will also downregulate the amount of dopamine coming out. And so here, for the first time, you have a Dopaminergic mechanism that doesn't involve blocking the dopamine receptor. Uh, blocking the dopamine receptor is one of the things we think maybe makes negative symptoms worse. And so, if you can shut down positive symptoms without making negative symptoms worse and perhaps even improving them by better regulating the flow of dopamine, that might be an advantage as well. Uh, and so, those are kind of the two main mechanisms that are the closest to, to something we may see, you know, I would say maybe in the next couple of years.
1: Well, that's really exciting. I mean, if we could really treat the negative symptoms and the, and the cognitive problems that people face, you know, perhaps that will improve functional outcome and recovery for individuals with this disorder. So um, thank you, Sanjay. This has been great. Thanks for speaking with me tonight.
0: My pleasure, Dawn. Thank you for being here. And that's today's Specialist Spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PB Roundup Podcast. For more stories like this, visit us at pbroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pbroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing Medical News Roundup and just ask, What's My Flash Briefing? Thanks today to Drs. Velligan and Rao. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.